Hey everyone, this is James Wilson with MTB Strength Training Systems and welcome back to another Bike James podcast. Today, I've got a very special guest, uh, Steve Maxwell with Maxwell Strength and Conditioning. Steve, thanks for joining us today. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on your show. Awesome. Yeah. So I was uh, telling you before the podcast, Steve, that you have been a big influence on my training career, uh, the philosophies and, and the programs that I end up writing for people. So people that are listening to this, you may not realize it, but Steve has actually had a big influence on uh, the information that I brought and any of the training programs that I put out there. So I was excited to get Steve on to uh, to kind of give his direct insights into some of these things. And he also has a really cool uh, philosophy, which is training for life. And I've, I've kind of uh, stolen that a little bit and started talking about riding for life in the mountain bike community because there's, you know, a lot of people who are interested in uh, uh, how do I do this for a lifetime as opposed to, you know, when we're, when we're in our 20s and 30s, it's like, how do I perform at my highest level? But then we start to realize that, you know, hey, how do I do this for a long time? So uh, to kick things off, Steve, would you give us a little bit of your background, kind of the, the origin story for Steve Maxwell? Because I think your your background history is pretty fascinating and really sets you up for a unique uh, expertise and, and view in the fitness field. Sometimes I think I've lived three lifetimes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it spans back to Carlisle, Pennsylvania in the 1960s when I first started um, training. I was uh, a relatively small child and weak, and uh, my father noticed I was getting bullied by a lot of the bigger kids in the neighborhood. Um, we, uh, it was only older boys mostly in our neighborhood, and it was just me. My brother and I were the only little guys. So uh, he taught my brother and I how to box. He was a U.S. Navy boxer in World War II. And he bought me a barbell set from York Barbell. And York Barbell Club was just down the road. And at that time, the York Barbell Club was the mecca of physical culture and Olympic uh, lifting and strength training in basically the world, especially the U.S. I mean, that's back when we still had Olympic weightlifting champions. And in those days, they didn't differentiate weightlifting from weight training or bodybuilding. Everyone did everything. That's how I cut my teeth. And all through high school, I was lifting and very uh, strongly influenced by the philosophies of York Barbell. And of course, uh, they had some fantastic uh, magazines back then, the old uh, Strength and Health magazine and the old Muscular Development magazine. And later I found Iron Man, the old Perry Raider Iron Man, back when it was so innocent. <laughs> Before it was like loaded with steroid guys. And that's where I cut my teeth. And I entered uh, Westchester State Teachers College as a uh, physical education major because the people that I admired most were my wrestling coaches and my football coaches. And uh, I wrestled four years, uh, NCAA Division I school, uh, successfully. And my sophomore year, I discovered the works of Arthur Jones. I had actually been reading about him since 1970. And I became intrigued with this whole concept of high intensity training 
and Jones Nautilus machine. And lo and behold, the first Nautilus gym in Pennsylvania opened up not too far from where I was going to college. And I started going down there and I became convinced that this was a really superior method of conditioning for sport. And I actually started working there on weekends. Got my first job in the fitness industry. And this was around 1972. Up to that point, I'd been doing the typical programs of the era, you know, the 20 rep squat with a gallon of milk a day for bulking up. <laughs> and then, you know, following that with the old five by five, you know, that uh, the Ray Park system, the, uh, uh, the Mr. Universe from South Africa invented that. And, you know, various other programs, uh, you know, uh, there used to be a guy I love, Bradley Steiner, who created a, um, uh, or continued a martial art called Defender. And, you know, Dr. Ken Leesner, uh, very famous chiropractor from uh, Valley Stream, New York. These are people that really had a big influence on me. And, uh, but once I got started with Nautilus, uh, I was convinced that this is a really superior way to go. And I continued working at different health clubs. I, I quickly, in my career, decided I didn't really like working in the school system. And uh, kids are pretty tough. I mean, I like coaching. I like teaching PE, but teaching health in the classroom wasn't all that much fun. <laughs> kids, even back in the 70s, it was getting pretty rough for teachers. I don't even mm -hmm. know how they up nowadays, man. I really don't. Mm -hmm. I mean, my hat's off to anyone that can, you know, because obviously we need good teachers, but I decided I was going to work with adults. So, and anyway, to make a long story short, I worked at a lot of clubs all over Pennsylvania and eventually opened up my own place, Maxercise, in 1990. And it consisted primarily of hammer strength and vintage Nautilus, then had, had been retrofitted with special cans uh, to make the strength curve a little bit better. And uh, I became very interested in super slow, Ken Hudson. I found um, Ken was brilliant. And I had a lot of elderly people, a lot of injured people. And I wanted to you know, have a way, a methodology of being able to work with anyone, whether they be old, young, uh, injured, non-injured, athletic, or just people that wanted to be healthy. And I found that this was a very good system to use. And I actually had my whole staff certified by Ken Hutchins himself. My ex-wife was a master trainer in the Super Slow Exercise Guild. And I, I thought it was really terrific. But then I, uh, at the same time, I started the first Gracie Jiu-Jitsu School in the Eastern Seaboard. There was only Torrance, California and Steve Maxwell pretty much. And it was kind of weird because I would have all these elderly people downstairs. The average age was like in the mid to late 40s. And then I had all these young bucks coming in for jujitsu. Uh, like a, like a, I expanded into the upstairs area. You have to understand Maxercise was like this old building from the 1800s, an old textile manufacturing uh, building. And it was pretty rough. <laughs> it was like a warehouse. It looked like something out of a um, Rocky Balboa movie, you know, Sylvester Stallone. I mean, it was, uh, it was pretty rough. Uh, 
But my client list read like a who's who of Philly. So it was strange. Young guys going upstairs for BJJ. And then we had this kind of rehabilitation thing going on downstairs. But I, I went through a bit of a, I don't know, called a midlife crisis where I started experimenting with other ways of training, trying to maximize my performance in jujitsu. And I started looking at, you know, traditional conditioning styles, you know, like the, uh, the Hindu wrestlers were renowned for their strength and endurance. Lots of Hindu squats and push-ups and started swinging clubs, the juries and the, uh, the maces. And uh, of course, I, I, I fell in love with the kettlebell there for a while. Uh, I was greatly influenced by Pablo Setsoli and some of his ideas about kettlebell training. And what I did was I lost sight of the long game with all that. It was a mistake, a big mistake. Those types of training, I'm, I'm not saying they don't work, you know, lifting sandbags and odd objects and, you know, the so-called functional. Yeah, you'll get some results, but the wear and tear on the joints over time is significant. And you actually can create prematurity body is what I discovered after a decade of messing around with this stuff. And I went back to my roots with high intensity training and super slow and isometrics, something that I had been experimenting with for many years and decided to really investigate. And uh, with the time static contraction method, uh, it, it kind of revolutionized training for many, many people. Now people, even with terrible injuries, uh, really bad back problems and pain, can now safely train in a way that doesn't further increase the pain or injury, and in many cases, even helps get rid of it. So that, that, that was a long-winded background. It was very detailed. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I kind of came full circle. I uh, I lost sight of the long game there for a while during my competition jujitsu days, where I was competing, going to tournaments, and you know I was looking for an edge, and I thought that the old traditional ways of grappling conditioning would give that to me. But in reality, it really didn't. I, I think I just caused more harm than good. I definitely uh, screwed up my shoulder with the kettlebells. And I wouldn't, reckon, uh, I wouldn't recommend training with kettlebells to anyone anymore at all or swinging clubs or any of that stuff. You know? I really wouldn't. Uh, I, I think people, people forget about long-term wear and tear. Even if you're not suffering an acute injury, like, like an immediate injury, you get these very long... Uh, Injuries building up in the body. For example, um, I like to watch NFL football. Yep. It playoffs coming up, right? And yep. you notice, like, sometimes you'll see a guy, like, just didn't even look like anything happened. And he'll just, like, pull up and, or fall down holding his knee or his ankle or whatever. And you wonder, like, wow, what the hell happened there? You know, like, it, it didn't look like any real contact or anything. What a lot of people don't realize is 
uh, a lot of these guys do very questionable type of training, you know, box mm. jump, explosive Olympic lifting, stuff like that. And a lot of those injuries on the field or on the grappling mat or on the basketball court were building up in the gym for weeks or maybe even months where the joint health was slowly being eroded over time. So that when you see the actual injury, that had been, man, that injury had been building for a long, long time. That was just the straw that broke the camel's back. That last little insult to the body that, you know, created the actual uh, acute injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, man, that's, uh, that, yeah, that was awesome. I really appreciate you sharing all of that. I've, I've heard your, your story uh, a few times and every time you tell it a little bit different, I learned something um, you know, a little bit more. And so, uh, yeah, Max Exercise, I've actually seen pictures of Max Exercise. I, I originally found out about you through kettlebell training. I got into kettlebell training in the early 2000s, I think like 2004 was when I got my first kettlebell. Um, and, uh, I used to work at the, the International Sports Sciences Association, the, the ISSA, one of the certification groups. And I remember I was working there in the late nineties and this fucking book gets sent in for a review. And there's this shirtless dude with this hairy chest and he's not like that buff and it's power to the people. And I'm like, who the hell is this guy? Like, what is this thing? And so you know, I'd actually, you know, I, I'd, I'd gotten turned on to Pavel through that and then eventually kettlebells. And then through kettlebells is where I originally learned about you because you were one of the, the kettlebell guys um, in, you know, in the kettlebell community back then and, and for, you know, quite a while. And then eventually I got into Brazilian jiu-jitsu and then I found out that you did jiu-jitsu. And so you kind of, you know, came back into my, my circle of influence in that way as well. And I, uh, I went to, it was in Scottsdale, I think like 2018 or 2019, uh, somewhere in there. Um, you did a, a, a training for life, uh, workshop there. And me and my buddy drove from, uh, Colorado to, uh, to, to go to it. And I was mainly interested in the mobility part. You're talking about like, I'm going to show you all the mobility stuff. And at the time I had this really bad groin injury that I tried to work around and, and just eventually got to the point where I was like, man, I got to take some time off. You know, maybe Steve will have some insights. And so I went there for that. And then you started, we went, we went through that. Everything was great. You know, I still use uh, everything that you showed there and, and have never had a problem with, uh, you know, groin injury or anything like that since, <clears throat> excuse me. And, um, and, but then you got into isometrics and man, I'll admit, right? Like I've been a trainer for quite a while and I thought I knew, you know, isometrics. Yeah. Okay. And man, I, I, I was, I was like, what is this guy talking about now? All right, Steve, we'll, we'll see what you got. And man, you had us go through, uh, the ramping isometrics, um, you know, some of the super slow stuff, but especially the ramping isometrics. Like I remember there was a point doing the glute bridge that I was like, holy shit, I've never felt my glutes like this before. Like what's going on here? Like there's something going on here that we're totally missing. If the glutes are so important, you know, why have I never felt them like I have during this isometric, you know, glute bridge? And so I, I made a pack, me and my buddy, when we drove back, we made a pack like, dude, we're going to stick with isometrics for six months and just see what happens. You know, we're going to, you know, keep each other accountable to not slip back into our, you know, uh, other training methods. 
And man, after just a few weeks, you could feel the results. And it really made me rethink a lot of my, my training stuff. And, and you, you said something that forever changed my training philosophy, which is the skill of creating tension is one thing. And the skill of applying tension to a movement is another thing. And that, you know, ultimately we've messed up because we're trying to train tension creation skills through movement-based exercise. Whereas really what we want to do is create these tension skills through isometrics and then apply them to our sport. You know, whether it's, you know, jujitsu or whether it's mountain biking or whatever the daily life, right. Whatever that is. But like that was, um, that, 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 that really changed how I looked at strength training in general and sent my training programs on a completely different path, uh, you know, from there. So yeah, I can't, the isometrics and, and your, you know, you coming all the way around, right. That's why I wanted people to hear your stories because you've been there, you've done that and you're still doing it. Right. And so you you've, you've learned a lot and you, you're speaking from experience because you've tried kettlebell training, you've tried, you know, all these different methods and, from experience and also your experience working with clients, you have seen that, okay, really what I need to do is come back to what you guys were doing, you know, early on. I, I think I remember you mentioned you guys did a lot of isometrics um, early on in your athletic training career. And then at a certain point, they kind of fell out of favor. Um, I guess like, you know, your, your view of the history of, of, the, of the fitness industry is really fascinating to me. Do you have any insights into, you know, like, why did isometrics fall out of favor? Like at one point they were very um, like most people don't realize the power rack was invented for isometric training, not to spot you when you're doing squats and, and bench presses. And so isometrics were a really big part of physical culture. And then they kind of fell out of favor. So like, I guess what's your insights into like kind of the history of isometrics and then why do you think they fell out of, of favor uh, like they did? Well, the original isometrics that I learned as a kid, back in uh, Carlisle. They were all part of the York Barbell uh, uh, system. Mm -hmm. And when they originally started experimenting with the isometrics with the Olympic lifters in a way to improve their lifts, uh, they were only doing six second holds, six to 10 second holds in three different positions. There had been um, a study, I don't remember who did it, but they found that you only got strong 15 degrees on either side of whatever position you're holding. For example, mm -hmm. if you're holding mid range, then the strength would increase only 15 degrees on either side of that particular joint angle, or so the claim was. And so they would have you holding multiple positions for short duration. And it did work. I did use it. Uh, my coach had a power rack. And during wrestling season, when I was too heat up to do regular lifting, because, oh, my God, wrestling is so strenuous, I found isometrics didn't cause the, uh, the, the mechanical damage in the muscle, the more metabolic stress than mechanical stress. So it was perfect, you know, to keep your strength levels up. The reason it fell out of this favor was it was found that the subjects that they were experimenting with at York we're also using steroids. This is back when steroids just were coming into vogue. So everyone immediately said, oh, it's not the isometrics, it's the steroids. And that was a big slap to the isometric you know, movement. Mm. 
because mm-hmm. they actually were using anabolic steroid drugs. Didn't mean that the isometrics didn't work, but everyone was claiming that nah, it was the steroids that gave them all those results. So it's kind mm-hmm. of a shame because there was a lot of young guys that weren't using steroids like myself that were getting really good results. The other problem with isometrics, they're not very sexy. <laughs> <laughs> no. There, you, you cannot be a YouTube influencer and get people all excited just doing an isometric hold. You know, you yeah. can't show off. And a lot of people have a lot of difficulty um, pushing themselves if they're not going after a certain amount of weight or a certain number of repetitions. Mm-hmm. They're, they're trapped in that mentality. In reality, the only people that should be worried about the amount of weight or doing a certain number of repetitions are people that are competitive weight lifters because ultimately it doesn't matter. Right. It was found later, however, with the longer isometrics. Let me also say there's two types of isometrics, yielding and overcoming. A yielding isometric that a lot of people are familiar with is the wall sit, where you put your back against the wall, go down to a half squat, and you hold. Okay, that's a yielding isometric. You're holding a certain weight, your body weight, with your thighs and hips. Or um, the flexed arm hang that they use in a lot of gym classes. Uh, they used to use it a lot for the uh, females, where you hold yourself at the top of a pull-up bar for time. And it's an excellent exercise, by the way. And eventually mm-hmm. your muscles give out and you have to yield to the weight. You reach a momentary muscular failure. The other type of isometric is called a uh, overcoming isometric where you push against an immovable object. Like the old York power rack was a combination where you would hold a barbell against the pin for a time so you knew exactly how much you were exerting for how long. But then they made another ISO power rack and also a little chain device. With uh, Basically, my dad got me one. You would stand on like a little footboard with a little chain mm-hmm. and like a little wooden dowel rod. And you could set it at different heights for doing curls, rows, presses, deadlifts, stuff like that. And there's no way to measure what you do. Mm-hmm. You know how hard you're exerting. So th- that was a bugaboo. But then later, Ken Hutchins came up with a design for uh, computer feedback statics, where he actually made equipment, machines, with a computer screen, where you could literally see on the screen a little graphic line of your output, and it would record it and keep a record of it. And a lot of people found that very motivating. Mm-hmm. What I've found, it doesn't matter. <laughs> After right. you've been lifting for four or five years, man, you're not going to get any bigger or stronger or faster. That's a big myth that the fitness community tries to perpetuate. So you keep buying the latest program, the latest supplement, the magic pill, you know, that's going to do it for you. In reality, you reach your genetic potential fairly quickly. Most of us don't really have that much genetic potential. The 
the genetic potential for having huge muscles like an Arnold Schwarzenegger is about the same as growing to seven foot tall. Go to any shopping mall, huge shopping mall, and sit there and observe the people. Or even on a beach, you may see in a whole day one really muscular guy, maybe. Most people are average, you know, size. Same thing with height. You see a really tall guy, maybe. And maybe occasionally you'll see the other end, you know, like a, like a really short person or even a little midget. Mm-hmm. That's how muscular size. Most people don't have the genetics, no matter what they do. Right. Even if they took steroids, it'd still be mediocre results. So if that be true, you still have to do resistance training so you don't lose your muscle mass as you get older. For sure, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. And, you know, you see a lot of older people that have lost their muscle. They're in walkers or canes or wheelchairs, you know. And with the loss of muscle tissue comes balance issue because your balance is largely dependent on the strength of your glutes and your hamstrings to keep you upright. And if you lose that muscle, you lose your independence. Soon you can't drive anymore. You can't lift anything. You can't lift your grandchildren. You can't go for a mountain bike ride. You can't go play around a golf. You need to keep that strength. And I found isometrics is an ideal way to do it. And all you have to really do is give an honest effort. Really push it as hard as you can. And who cares how much it is? Who cares how much force you're actually producing? If you're producing as much as you can in that time frame, then your body's going to do the rest. Whatever genetic potential you have will be met. And, you know, I'm 70, so I'm, you know, basically I'm way past the day of games. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to hold on to what I've built over my lifetime. And to younger guys out there that want to incorporate isometrics, it's a great training system. It'll give you, you still have plenty of energy to yeah. do the other stuff you like. Like, I mean, I like doing jujitsu even now. I, in fact, I rolled last night with a whole bunch of 20 year olds. I'm feeling it today. <laughs> I was careful, you know. Yeah. And some people might say, well, what the hell are you doing, Steve? You just talked about how dangerous kettlebells are. Now you're doing something ultra dangerous like jujitsu. Well, we got to pick our poisons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. And uh, to tell the God's honest truth, man, uh, you, you know this, James. I had way more injuries in my mountain bike career. I used to race mountain bikes. I had way more injuries wrecking uh, in single tracks, trying to pass people and all sorts of crazy shenanigans and, than I ever did in jujitsu. Oh, yeah. Pretty, I had bad wrecks, man. I wiped yeah, I mean, one pretty bad. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I joke around. I tell people I've sacrificed many body parts to the mountain biking gods, and some of them more than once. So it's, uh, yeah, no, I've I've had way worse injuries from mountain biking than jujitsu, but um, but yeah, no, that's. But the the point is, okay, if you do engage in these strenuous sports, we know going in that they're dangerous. We understand there's a risk in participating in them. We do. And we we accept that risk. We accept that risk. 
In all the years I ran my jujitsu school, I was never sued once for a guy getting hurt, ever. But I had two lawsuits, people hurting themselves in the gym, mm. which is interesting. My insurance for my gym was way more than my martial arts insurance. Yeah. Which a lot of people are surprised. And it was their own negligence, by the way. Uh, I won the case. Yeah, they, they were just doing stupid things and not following protocol when they got hurt. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't supervised training. It was people working out on their own. And in all the years that I worked with people in the gym, training people, and the many thousands of people, I never hurt anyone, ever. Not once. And Well, that's not true. In kettlebells, I, I had a couple injuries. Mm. There were injuries. But my, my point is that with proper strength training, you should never get hurt. One of the principles of proper strength training is that it helps prevent injury right. in other sports. You can't guarantee a person will be injury proof. You know, you can't go riding a single track trail down a steep mountainside with rocks all over the place and not, you know, be subject to some type of problem injury or right same thing like you get in the mat you know yes i can tap but let's hope my partner lets go because now there's a second party involved so it's not just me anymore but there's another person also so mm -hmm. but we accept there's a risk but anyone going into a gym if you're getting hurt in the gym then you got to take a hard look at what you're doing why you're doing it and you're just not training properly if yeah. you're a weightlifter, okay, okay, I get it. If you're a powerlifter, Olympic lifter, or uh, a kettlebell sport competitor, or whatever, yeah, okay, yeah. Pushing the limits, you're going to get hurt at some point. But for normal people training for health, longevity, or bodybuilding, or trying to improve their performance in sport, you should never get hurt. Never. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's something I definitely have uh, tried to help people understand. And also, you know, most, your strength training shouldn't detract from your ability to perform. So like if you're getting on the bike and you're just perpetually so sore that you can't really perform well, well, something's off there too. So, you know, even if you're not getting uh, injured, but usually, like I said, those long-term injuries add up, like you were talking about earlier, like they may not have some sort of uh, acute injury but that's the other thing is like man if you're having to you know if, if you think ibuprofen is a, a vitamin uh that you take <laughs> on a regular basis there may be something off with your training and and that was something that uh i really found with isometrics was that they're uh they're they're easily easy on you mechanically right like they don't produce the same amount of soreness they don't produce the same like uh potential for joint pain and so you can do them on a on a regular basis, like pretty much a daily basis, and uh, and and then be able to train, right? Like I, I would do my isometric workout before uh, open mat with jujitsu, where like I wouldn't, or, or, or you know, sometimes before going for a ride, but I'd, I'd never think about doing like a hard traditional strength training workout like I used to do, and then trying to do that because like it would affect me so much physically. And, you know, realizing like, hey, that's, you know, detracting from my sport training, um, you know, was, was definitely a big insight for me. So, 
yeah, if it's if it's taken away from your sport training, then it's not. Uh, you know, you got a question like, why are you doing it? You know, is it really necessary? But you know, people love to they 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 like to to chase those numbers. But you know, that's also I think like the fact that there are no external numbers with isometrics is one of their it's it's a, a negative at first, but it turns into a positive because, like you said, it really forces you to learn what a good honest effort is from yourself like at first most people don't even know like how to like contract their muscles at 100 percent to try to like you know press into the wall or the you know jujitsu belt or whatever they're they're using to 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 do that and so like learning to do that and then it also i find that it helps self-regulate right like because like your 100 percent is going to be different from day to day and so like your 100 percent today may be more than than yesterday and if isometrics will automatically kind of self-regulate that, like when you're feeling good, you're going to be able to produce more tension and, and go a little harder. Whereas if you're, you know, you're not, you're not going to be able to, but if you're just using numbers in the gym and you go in and it's like, you know, Hey, you need to lift this amount of weight for this many reps. Well, like maybe that, you know, that's not a true reflection of where you are uh, that day. So, um, so yeah, I think that, that a lot of the things like, like I said, you, you've talked about were, are super uh, beneficial for, for athletes who are looking to train hard, but not leave themselves beat up and risk injury in the process. Cause I think the last part of why isometrics aren't popular is because they're freaking hard. Like they're soul crushingly hard. If they, if, if they're performed properly, uh, I wouldn't recommend anyone do them every day. Then. No way. You know, once or twice a week is enough, especially right. if you do 90 second time under load. Woo. You know, it takes a while to recover from that. And there's no reason why you can't mix it in with other super as well. Like right now, I'm doing a combination of body weight. I like to do very slow chin-ups, push-ups, and body weight squats. And you would think that body, body weight squats would be really easy. But, man, the way I do them, where you stay out of the top third range, because that's a very easy range of motion, it doesn't really need to be strengthened. When you go from the bottom as the ankles and you come up slightly past parallel to where your knees are about 90 degrees and the top of your thigh is 45 degree angle to the floor and then do a slow turnaround, man, four reps, five reps feels back like when I was doing like, like heavy uh, hammer strength leg presses or heavy kettlebell squats. It feels every bit as hard. And it, it, you know, it's amazing how it's kept my legs very, very strong. The, the, there is a downside to isometrics, however, uh, because you're not getting a range of motion. You need to stretch and do mobility mm. on a daily basis, also. You yeah, know, yeah. You, you, well, you, you want to uh, definitely continue your yoga if you do yoga, or you know, some form of stretching. Or, you know, I, I like a lot of the uh, the Russian Slavic health system type mobility drill I use a lot. But, yeah, you definitely need to stretch the hamstrings in particular, the hip flexors, the quads, the groin. Definitely stretch out the uh, upper body, shoulders, neck. Because uh, isometrics, if that's all you do, you could potentially tighten up a bit. Yeah, yeah, well, that was a good uh, segue into the other uh, aspect of your your training philosophy that I wanted to touch on, which is mobility. 
Um, so like I said, I definitely learned a lot from you in that workshop I went to and, and have, uh, you know, continue to use a lot of those things. And so, um, so when you talk about, uh, stretching, for example, like, do you have a, a certain protocol or time that you like people to hold or any sort of like, you know, stretching method using, you know, breathing or anything to help? Like kind of what, uh, you know, what, I guess, what, what kind of is your, your preferred, I guess, principles or, or methods, uh, when it comes to that? I use, I used to do like almost like what they call isometric stretching, where you put yourself in like an extreme range where you're, you're getting that stretch reflex kicking in and then mm-hmm. you actually contract and then sigh and relax. And the sigh kind of releases the, that stretch reflex for a moment because you go from your, um, uh, into your autonomic reflex and you let go of that stretch reflex just for a moment you kind of fool your body into relaxing. And you, you know, you do a series of like quick breaths while isometrically contracting and then relax. That's a pretty quick way to increase flexibility. This is used by gymnasts and by martial artists and dancers and ice skaters for years and years. And it works. Now that I'm older, I just don't care that much anymore. You know, if I, if, if I, if I can, put, you know, I, I, I can, put my palms in the floor, you know, from the standing position and, you know, how flexible do you have to be, you know? Right. I'm no longer chasing uh, a split like I did when I was younger. I mean, yeah. So a lot of times I'll just do what we call relaxing the stretch. Well, I'll just get in a stretch position and hold it for a prolonged period of time. We'll listen to music, maybe watching the TV show. Sometimes I even do it when I'm doing a Zoom session. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'll put my foot up on the table while talking to someone or, you know, taking someone through a, a workout and I'll stand on my right leg and put my left foot on the table, and turn various ways while watching the person hold their isometric or whatever. And, you know, you can do like great little routine just standing at your desk. You can do a standing pigeon. Uh, you know, you can do hamstring, groin. Uh, you know, you can put your foot on the desk and stretch your quad, your foot on the chair and get into a deep one. You get your hip flexor. And you can just work all around your hips and your body. And it seems like back and hips are the things that really get tight in most older people. And that's where I notice my own tightness. Those hips mm-hmm. are so very stubborn. Seems like, you know, we put a lot of negative emotions in the neck and hip. Mm your emotional state has an awful lot to do with your, your body shape and the amount of tension you hold, which brings us to another breathing. Yes. If breathing is impaired. If their upper chest breathing all the time and dysfunction, they're in a constant state, state of fight or flight. The upper chest, the upper lobes of the lungs, are your sympathetic nervous system and that that's constantly telling you that there's a stressful situation going on you're pumping out cortisol and you know sometimes you can get adrenalized and it's it it creates a tension throughout the whole body whereas if you're breathing in the lower lobe of the lungs your parasympathetic nervous system or rest and digest you stay in a calm or more relaxed uh, manner throughout the day 
that goal should be nasal breathing into the lower lobe of the lungs most of the time. There is a place for mouth breathing, you know, in dire emergencies, but for the most part, you know, 95% of the time, you know, you're going to be breathing through the nose and exhaling through the nose, or breathing through the nose and exhaling through the mouth is fine. You can vent through the mouth. And you try to maintain that as much as you can for all activities, even mountain biking, even, you know, doing strenuous sport. You try to um, nasal window. Only during the hardest of exertions might you go to the mouth. But no one ever said it was healthy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 And uh, this may sound strange or unusual, but, uh, you know, I, I took to taping my mouth shut at night. Yeah, I've I've talked about that before, and so yeah, if you'd like to to touch on that, um, yeah, yeah, talk about the the mouth taping. Well, I studied a system of uh, uh, breathing and breath control called the Buteco, and people can look it up if they want. And uh, it, it ba basically, a lot of people will breathe very dysfunctionally at night, or their nose will get a little stuffy, and usually a stuffy nose is due to uh, intestinal congestion, poor diet, you know, you get the stuffy nose and it'll clog up on you and people start to breathe through the mouth. Very bad for, for oral hygiene, uh, terrible for your health. Uh, usually it's concomitant with snoring or even sleep apnea. But by putting a simple piece of tape over the mouth, uh, you will be forced to breathe through your nose. And the benefit of nose breathing is you get nitric oxide produced in the linings of the nasal passages, which opens up all of the capillaries and allows more blood to enter the blood. And if you breathe through your mouth, you're not getting the NO, the nitric oxide. So you're really depriving yourself uh, of good oxygenation from your, from your breathing. If people want to read, I mean, it's way more complicated than that, but if people want to read about it, uh, I would recommend uh, The Oxygen Advantage by uh, uh, Ewan McGregor, or right, Ewan McEwen. But there's been a bunch of books written about uh, Bottega. There, there's yeah. a lot, breathing is kind of a popular thing right now, you know. Uh, it, it differs from the Wim Hof style, by the way. Wim Hof is more a way of breathing to get you really, your nervous system really excited and mm -hmm. get really so that you can withstand extreme cold. Extreme cold. And um, I've, seen, I've seen benefits from it. I, I don't know the jury still. I, I'm not sure that any extremist type behavior is really ultimately that good for anyone. You know? Mm -hmm. I just don't know, you know, sitting in ice cold water for prolonged periods of time. I don't know whether that prolongs life or detracts. I just don't know. I've right. seen some pretty rough looking people. <laughs> but, <laughs> you, know, you know, look old before their time. So, so I don't know. I'm not going to cast judgment on it. I know I don't particularly care for it. But the Boteco seems it works great for me. Really, really, really good. Nasal awesome. breathing. And uh, I try to do it even when I'm on the jujitsu mat. 
I try to maintain breath control at all times when I'm strength training with isometrics. And one thing about the isometric, because it is a very long contraction, 30 seconds at 50%, the second 30 seconds is 75%, and the final 30 seconds, as hard as you dare, that's 90 seconds of contracting the targeted muscle group. Uh, you have to really learn how to breathe. Because holding your breath during isometrics could be very dangerous. Really spike that blood pressure. It, mm-hmm. So you learn to breathe through it. And that translates very well though, to martial arts, particularly grappling. Really, truly good. Because if you think about grappling, it's, it's one isometric to another. It's just a series of isometrics. Yeah. It'll be a flow or a little flurry. And then isometric, 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 and a flow for it, then a hold, and then a hold. So it's a, it's a series of static holds. And learning how to breathe so that you don't get overly exhausted doing that is really, really good. It's ironic because isometrics we do for training, we're trying to exhaust ourselves as quickly as possible. And in jujitsu, the isometrics, we're trying to use as little energy as possible. Yeah, that's an interesting juxtaposition. You actually had a chance to learn from uh, from Hickson, uh, or I guess the Gracies, using their breathing methods. Or again, if I'm misstating that, please correct me. But I, I remember you talking about um, experiencing them uh, breathing, and at first you thought they were messing with you. They were, you know, doing these funny breathing, what seemed like funny breathing patterns while they were rolling. And then eventually you started to realize like, oh, no, they're they're purposefully using breathing, uh, you know, to, to help them remain efficient and not gas out. And, uh, and and so, yeah, like, you know, famously Hickson Gracie, who's like, you know, the greatest jujitsu fighter of all time. Uh, he used breathing and credits breathing with playing a big role in his success uh, competitively and, and all of that. So I guess, can you kind of speak to that a little bit, like kind of your, your experience with, uh, with, with the Gracie's and their breathing stuff? Well, it was mostly Hoist. I used to roll with a lot back in the day. Okay. He used to roll with me for literally for hours. It was really wonderful. You know, that, that's how I cut my teeth as a, uh, a blue belt, purple belt, you know, and, uh, Hoist always had a very peculiar breathing pattern. And I learned later he got it from his brother Hickson. And uh, I did observe Hickson at the Gracie Academy when he was still there before he left, when it was like all the brothers were together. I observed his private workouts and his breathing, and uh, he did a lot of uh, pranayama yogic breathing, breath of fire. Uh, he, he, he liked doing the stomach churning, a lot, a lot, of, um, lot of breath technique from, from the yoga disciplines. Mm. And uh, he... Uh, he learned a lot of his uh, yoga from uh, the guy that created well they call it gymnastic natural but that that was that's been taken by somebody else uh the original one was not called gymnastic natural it was called something else mm-hmm. um, i forget but that was hickson's mentor and and then nice. a student of the same guy took and called it and rebranded it and called it gymnastic and natural. Mm. And yeah. that's where Jason got his breathing. But he okay. also 
being the innovator and um, you know amazing, they always would be softly exhaling throughout the whole role. And you could hear it. And you would realize that they were doing something very special. And the, the main thing is not to hold the breath and to keep calm, inhaling through the nose as much as you can and letting the breath out. And sometimes you have to breathe very quickly if someone's compressing your, your torso or you know, knee and the belly or has you in a bad situation where it's kind of hard to uh, breathe. You learn to take little breaths as opposed to panicking and holding the breath. Because, you know, you'll hear a lot of white ball, blue ball, even purple balls, like, <laughs> you know, grunting. And, you know, that's all the soft ascent, which mm-hmm. is very, very bad. Spikes the blood pressure makes you exhausted. You know, you, uh, you don't get oxygen to the tissues. You got to breathe freely the whole time. And it takes practice. It takes a lot of practice. But you have to bring awareness to the breath in the first place. So a lot of people have no awareness at all. They have no clue what they're doing when it comes to breathing. Yeah. So, you know, I still do breath work outside every every day. I'll, I'll go out and I'll walk. And, you know, one of my one of the real nice ones to start with just to bring awareness is inhale through the nose in four steps, hold the breath for four steps exhale for four steps, hold the breath for four steps. So out of every 16 steps, you're only inhaling for four of them. That's a very old ancient exercise. It's called square breathing. It's a great way to get introduced to proper breathing. Now, I just got done saying holding your breath is not a good idea. Voluntarily holding your breath is fine. What that does is it creates like an oxygen hunger and get you used to having CO2 build up in your blood because most people overbreathe, breathe way too much too often. And it's because they're overly sensitive to CO2 buildup. When the oxygen goes into the cell, CO2 is released, you exhale the CO2 out. But if you exhale too much CO2 out, you can't take oxygen. It's, it, it's, uh, a very complex biochemical thing that happens in each cell. You need CO2 in order to uptake oxygen, Mm -hmm. but you breathe in too much oxygen, you exhale out too much CO2. So you're you're over-breathing and you're getting all this oxygen, but none of it's being taken into the cell. Yeah, no, that's something that uh, I've actually done the oxygen advantage uh, certification um, oh, then you so, know exactly what I'm talking about. And yeah, I, I'm explaining it in the most simplistic term. No, no. Way. Yeah, no, it's great. And because and, I've talked about some of these things as well. And I think the CO2 tolerance, because this is awesome. I got all these lists of things that I wanted to make sure I talked to you about. And you're just like, it's like I sent you the list ahead of time. You're just like segueing into all the things because, uh, you know, uh, with the breathing, I wanted to definitely wanted to touch on the CO2 because that's something that a lot of people I don't think realize that CO2 uh, tolerance is important because that's what causes that that breathless feeling um, you know kind of that panicky like I can't catch my breath and but like you said that if you have your your CO2 levels are too low because your body relies on CO2 to unlock oxygen from the red blood cells you're not able to oxygenate your your working muscles as effectively and so 
that uh, using the the breathing to one, just learn how to breathe better. Like you're talking about like breathing into the lower lungs and using your nose, but then also using drills like the square breathing to help increase your, your CO2 tolerance so that you're able to, uh, you know, be able to take advantage of, of the higher CO2 levels without it triggering the, uh, the panicky, um, breathing. So, uh, yeah, that's, that, that's, um, I'm, I'm glad you touched on that. And, and depending uh, on the drills too. I mean, oh my God, there's so many different drills, you know, the high altitude simulation breathing, the, uh, you know, I, uh, I, 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 I worked a lot with Russian martial arts. I got very fascinated with, uh, Sistema and a lot of people don't understand the Sistema. They think it's just the big, uh, fat guy on YouTube <laughs> yeah. making people fall down. No, 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 no. That's, that's just one little group of guys, you know. His student, actually, Vladimir Vasiliev, who's actually like the real deal. That guy's, I've trained with him. But no, no, I went to Russia eight times and trained with uh, real Russian martial artists. It's a military martial art. It's a military combat system, hand-to-hand combat. And it's very effective. And, you know, I'm a master Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. And believe me, those guys were very formidable. And many of them have also combat sambo as well as sistema. They mm. fight. They do. And real fight, you know, like as in killing people in the battlefield type fight. Right. Not, you know, bump fist and start on your knees and, you know, sit in your butt and pull a guy in your guard. No, no, no. Yeah, these guys, weapons, everything. So anyway, they do a lot of breath work. And I learned a lot of really cool uh, breathing exercises from these guys. Uh, Really nice stuff, like breath ladders, you know, uh, taking one step in or, uh, you know, like two steps in, two steps out, three, then four, then five, going the whole way up to 20 sometimes, you know. Mm. Maybe you heard of this endogenous breathing where you just take like a little sniff of air, like... And then you just stress the exhale over a really long period of time. You know, sometimes like on a good day, I'll, I can take a sniff of air. Like, uh, it kind of reminds me of drown proofing that we learned um, in my lifeguard training back when I was a PE major. Mm-hmm. Um, where they tie your hands behind your back and you had a survival swim in the deep end of the uh, pool and you weren't allowed to bob up and down off the bottom. And you would just lie in the water exhale take a little sniff and then lie in the water and then blow all the air take a sniff and you can survive a long time just laying in the water even without your hand just by relaxing and breathing well that 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 endogenous breathing a perpetual exhale with little sniffs that's a great way to build up your co2 tolerance man that's one of my favorite ways to do it and I learned that from the uh, Russian systemic guy. Nice. Yeah. So um, awesome, man. Well, I see we've we've uh, been on for about an hour. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I did want to, uh, before we go, touch on your website, uh, maxwellsc.com. I'll, I'll make sure I include the link in the show notes. But you've got a lot of great resources there. Uh, you've got a, you know, stuff on breathing, uh, isometrics. Um, you know, just all the things that we talked about here today, you have, uh, both free resources and programs and stuff that people can, uh, can buy to get more into that. 
So I just want to make sure that people uh, check that out. Do you have any, any, anything in particular you'd say, Hey, you know, check this, uh, check this out. If you go to my website. Uh, the isometrics three ways is actually a really good video to start out with. Really good. I mean, I cover all the basics of time static contraction and, um, the universal mobility is really, really good uh, for grapplers. Uh, give, give me 15 minutes. I'll give you, I'll add 15 years. The, I mean, that's, uh, it's very simple stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. it was basically geared towards the, uh, the senior jujitsu guy or, you know, older guys that are just getting started out. But I mean, I do that stuff. All, you know, every time I train, I'll do those mobility drills. I do other stuff too, but. I wanted something very easy and simple to understand. They at least get people started. Mm-hmm. And then they can break it out from there. But those would be good. They give me 15 minutes. Uh, they give me five video series, too. It's really, really good. I talk a little bit about breathing, uh, a little systemic jogging. Uh, I have like a, a simple shoulder mobility, uh, hip mobility. So that would be a good start for anyone wanting to you know, check this stuff out. Excellent. Excellent. Cool. Like I said, I'll include the link and uh, yeah, I encourage everybody to go over to Steve's website. You can sign up for his newsletter to stay up to date with uh, any, you know, projects he's got going or, you know, seminars or workshops he might be putting on in the future. If you get a chance to learn from Steve in person, I highly recommend it. Um, He's a, a, a great inspired teacher who's got a really effective way of communicating complex ideas in a way that makes sense and, and makes it easy for you to implement. So uh, like I said, man, he took something like isometrics and in, in, you know, one afternoon turned it from, from something that I was like, well, I kind of understand it, but it's too complex for me to really make use of to like, oh, well, this is like a core part of training from this point forward. So, um, so yeah, no, I encourage people to check that out. So, well, yeah, any, any, Words before we, before we close this down? One last thing, too, I'd like to make a little announcement. Uh, perhaps you heard of Richard Bressler. Uh, yes. He's a very good friend of mine. As a matter of fact, he was instrumental in helping me pass my teacher training certification under Hori and Gracie. The Gracie family had a teacher, teacher training program. Basically, mm. how to teach jujitsu. And Richard, uh, it was very difficult program i mean it wasn't like you know they were very exacting and demanding about the way you teach and uh, richard wrote this awesome book called worth defending and uh, he's basically like student zero in the u.s he was like the first student and i mean here was a really little guy with no athleticism at all and became a black belt in jiu-jitsu and it's very encouraging to anyone starting out there that if Richard can do it, anyone do it. And he worked long and hard to get where he's at. And he's very good. Well, we're doing joint seminar anywhere in the Seattle area. Richard is not a traveler, but he comes up to see his mother here on the Olympic Peninsula. I live in Washington state. So we're looking for any schools in this whole Washington state area around you know, the Seattle area, Port Townsend, uh, Port Angeles, any of these areas on the peninsula that would like to host us. And we'll give you guys a really good seminar. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's good. Hopefully this uh, gets out some, some, some people that can help with that. I've actually read that book. Um, it's a uh, excellent. Book. Yes. Yeah, no, I, 
I, I love that the the quote at the beginning. In fact, I, I apologize for not remembering who the which one of the the Gracie brothers it was attributed to, but it's the you know the there was that self defense is a mindset, and it starts with answering the question: Are you worth defending? Are and yeah, yeah. yeah the, was written by my first black belt, Scott Burke. My first made uh, BJJ black belt was a fellow by the name of Scott Burr, who happens to be a really good writer. Uh -huh. he, he was the writer that wrote that book. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. All right. Well, bring he, it all. He's, writing, he's actually writing a book now with Chris Howder. Oh, okay. I know I know of Chris as well. Another <laughs> super old Chris school jiu-jitsu guy. Old, old, old G guys. Uh, one yeah. One of the 30 dozen guys. So he goes way back. Yep. And he's writing his memoir. So... I'm thinking about getting with Scott and writing my memoirs about how I, I spread uh, jujitsu on the East Coast of the United States. Yeah, because you were the first East Coast black first, belt, right? First, uh, first House and Gracie black belt. And definitely the first one to, to uh, be running a school on the Eastern Seaboard of the U.S. Gracie jujitsu. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no, I'm like Even I'm, of uh, Hoist, and he thanked me and my ex-wife. Thank you for bringing Gracie Jiu-Jitsu to the East Coast. That was actually yeah. in my show for years. I, ho I hope someone still has that. <laughs> yeah, that, that'd be a real clicker then. That would be for sure. Well, excellent, Steve. Well, hey, man, I really appreciate your time and all of your insights into all of this. And like I said, I encourage people to go check you out at uh, maxwellsc.com and um yeah man I've, I've enjoyed the conversation so we'll uh we'll, we'll wrap it up and yeah we'll... excellent man well cool yeah. well everybody this go ahead no no i was just gonna say enjoy your weekend uh i'm always excited about the nfl playoffs so <laughs> yes yeah yeah well we got uh dallas and tampa bay and unfortunately i was born uh near dallas so i've, I've been cursed uh with that as my team so when i was in high school it was great when they were winning freaking you know three out of four and ever since then it's just been freaking heartbreak after heartbreak so i don't i don't trust those bastards um yeah <laughs> yep. right. awesome cool well i'm gonna go ahead and sign off so everybody uh remember you can check me out at bikejames.com and i will talk to everybody next time